Well, Faraz Siddiqui and Sean Allen, we're uh, thrilled that you're joining us, especially with all the competition out there. Football has obviously started again, and i got to tell you, I'm not a huge sports fan. I know Sean isn't, but what we really do support is all the people who are out there um, who are able to live. Sean and I are both advocates of the labor movement and the hardworking men and women who are out there putting together a product. So thank you to all of you guys for, um, first of all, it's been a hard time, right, Sean? We've it's been, been crazy times. Obviously, everyone's been going through a lot, and it's good to have sports back like i say I'm, you're not going to find me watching too many bears games on sundays but all the people that go in behind what makes sports happen we have to celebrate because they're out there making what we all enjoy happen every sunday every day and every week you're absolutely right right and the people with uh, live events coalition um people in the sports production world have have had a very unfortunate hiatus and interruption in their life and their work so we're glad that uh that's kind of resolved itself to that effect um i'm very excited that we have a guest who was a sports producer for multiple years um he's worked in broadcast and he's going to kind of give us a little bit of a highlight into what that's like and that's uh barry holfelder who will be joining us today if you want to talk to barry as well he's worked at wbbm channel 2 he's worked at uh, nbc chicago uh please do call us in at 773-763-9278 barry you're with us raza siddiqui sean allen life love in the grind uh thanks for the invitation uh, i really appreciate it and i concur with uh, what you're talking about with uh, sports coming back um I watched the IndyCar race earlier, uh, and they they actually had uh, some uh, fans uh, at the road course. So things are slowly getting back to uh, where we can appreciate uh, the competition again. Tell me about uh, talking about uh, racing. Tell me about the Indy 500, because early on in your career, you actually were somewhat of a pioneer in getting that uh, televised. Is that correct? And and not even televised. What did I hear about? Uh, these were pre-produced and then sent out to movie theaters. Things are completely different than what I know. It's all on its head. Tell me about that. No, it's, it was the actual race, but uh, it was before uh, television uh, got the contract with the, uh, the uh, 500 people. So what we've satellited uh, to theaters around the world and filled theaters, people uh, came in because they used to just listen to the race on radio. But here it was on a big screen live, and uh, it was, you know, very exciting for a lot of people. And uh, I remember one, one year we had a rain delay, and we had to fill for a- at least eight hours, if not more, which uh, was a real challenge for the talent, but uh, it was it was a great time. I still uh, was involved with uh, auto racing up until my retirement. So, uh, it, fortunately, NBC bought in into auto racing, so I was able to return to my roots. So, okay, let, let's actually start with how you got into television. Barry, you, you are retired now, but you've been doing this quite a while, having worked at WBBM, also with uh, WMAQ. Kind of tell us how your journey began, how you got into television, and what I would define as the heyday of television, where there were resources, where there were commitments, where there was basically a legacy on telling a story and telling it Well, properly. not as much competition, right? Uh, that, that's a good I point. Mean, in today's day of social media and Facebook and, and so many different outlets, that was kind of all what you had. Hey, uh, Barry, paint us a picture. Paint us a picture about what it was like, because you're right, it was probably harder to get a job without that competition, too, right, Barry? Yes, well, uh, it was a very, very different time. There was no uh, uh, social media. There was, there was no Internet uh, when I started. Uh, I graduated from Butler University in 1966. Uh, my first job was as a director at uh, Channel 6, which was the flagship station uh, for the closed-circuit broadcast of uh, the race. Now, that's uh, Channel 6 in Indianapolis, correct? Right. It's now WRTV. It was then WFBM-TV. Um, a wonderful place to work. It was then a Time Life uh, station. I'm not sure uh, what their affiliation is now. <laughs> now but uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, three years of uh, directing uh, news blocks and uh, uh, doing sports and did a couple documentaries. But my, my, my dream was always, from the time I was a, a kid, 
uh, to work in broadcasting in Chicago. Uh, I grew up on Chicago Kids Television and Chicago News. Uh, I was a, like a 10-year-old news junkie. Uh, Len O'Connor was one of my favorite uh, personalities. Uh, so I want to tell you, Sean, a little about Len O'Connor, because I had no idea who that was, too, so I don't blame you for not knowing. Mm-hmm. But evidently, he was kind of a pioneer, not only in cut-ins, network cut-ins on the Today Show, but also directed uh, or, or delivered commentaries. Is that correct? Um, so at the yeah, 10 o'clock was- newscast, he would actually give a, a, a color, a, a bit of editorial content. Is that how I would best be uh, describing this to Sean? Yeah, that's that's how he uh, evolved. He evolved into being a uh, commentator, and uh, his signature was uh, at the end of every commentary, he would say, and I am Len O'Connor, and people remembered him for that forever. Uh, that was his trademark. But uh, he was. He was a, a pioneer in, in Chicago television. And uh, when I finally uh, got to Chicago, um, my, my first choice was to, to work at Channel 5 because I was more familiar with uh, some of the people there. But uh, I had an offer first from... Uh, uh, Channel 2, to become a news writer, and uh, I, I grabbed that up immediately. And uh, Well, well how difficult was it at that point? Like Sean was saying, there weren't a lot of places that if you were a journalist, you wanted to exercise broadcast journalistic skills that you could go to. There were a couple of uh, the, the big networks. I don't know, maybe WGN didn't even have a newscast. You can tell us if they did or did not, but how competitive was it to get that job at WBBM? And then again, how many writers were there? I mean, that must have been completely different, too. Uh, yeah, I would guess there were maybe a half a dozen writers there. Um, what we cho- always uh, were taught in college was to try to stay, start out in a small market. Uh, and uh, Indianapolis was kind of a, a major market, but not the size of New York or Chicago. So you get your experience there, and I decided that if I was going to follow my dreams, I had to leave Indianapolis and uh, come up to Chicago. I did, and it took me eight months to land a job, so it was not easy. But uh, jobs in Chicago, particularly in uh, in the news uh, markets, were highly uh, sought after and uh, still are. Um, it was uh, a dream come true, really. And I, uh, after about six months of being a news writer and, and uh, writing for a very young uh, Bill Curtis, uh, I was uh, promoted to a producer, and uh, that's uh, that's where I really got uh, my start and a lot of experience. Well, I, I think it's absolutely phenomenal how you've climbed the ranks from going from WBBM to WMAQ and finally making it on Life, Love, and the Grind and sharing your experience with us. So and Those so, are the big times. So we do applaud you for that. What we do want to get into a little bit, we will get back into your experiences. Obviously, you were a sports producer for quite some time. Things have really changed um, with, with this whole virus. Uh, the way uh, stuff was covered, just we didn't even know if sports would come back. But uh, as we're driving in, uh, football is being played. Um, y- you know, on the opposing dial to us, but we're glad you're listening in here. Tell us um, from the people you connect with, stay in touch with, people that our listeners would know what you've heard. Throw some names out there. Why not? Uh, about what's going on with sports today? About what's going on with sports today and what the general feeling was like for the last uh, four months since March when it was just uh, a scary time in in the whole industry. Well, you know, I was sort of out of touch with, <laughs> along with everyone else, because I, I've been retired. But I do note that uh, uh, broadcast that I originated with Greg Gumbel back in the mid '70s, uh, Sports Sunday, uh, has gone to a fraction of what it was uh, because they just don't have the content uh, to fill a half hour. So uh, I, I note that uh, Sports Sunday is is about half the length of what it was. Uh, that's the biggest uh, change I've seen, uh, except that, you know, we're watching sports with no fans in the stands. Uh, I watch golf, and to see these golfers out on the course 
with no gallery there is it's very strange. And the golfers themselves uh, have commented on the fact that uh, it's just not the same. And it, it, it's everyone's anxious to get past uh, this pandemic and get back to a, a real life. And I think it uh, it, it has more effect on on sports teams uh, than you might imagine. So tell us a little bit about what goes behind all these events. I mean, you know, there's obviously so many working people that make all this, you know, a reality. And, you know, the, the sports people getting laid off or being out of work, you know, that's tough. But these are multi-million dollar athletes. I mean, can you explain a little bit what it's like behind the scenes for your kind of your everyday working man in the television business that kind of makes everything we enjoy possible? Yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly uh, what the protocol is for... Uh, covering practices now, but uh, when I was a sports producer, I'd begin my day uh, starting out uh, covering a Bears practice uh, at Hallis Hall, and uh, everyone uh, from uh, all of those stations would have their their sports crews, their camera crews, and and uh, producers and reporters there. We'd have access to uh, practice for video purposes for just a few minutes. Uh, at the uh, beginning of practice, and then they all pushed us back into the uh, press office, and we had to wait till the end of practice, and then we have access to uh, the locker room and do our one-on-one -on -one interviews with coaches and players. And it was pretty similar with uh, uh, covering the Bulls. Um, at first, the Bulls uh, practiced at uh, a... Uh, multiplex in Deerfield. It was, it was a uh, health club for every all sorts of uh, normal people, but the Bulls would have a uh, area set off with their own uh, practice uh, court. And uh, in those days, you could uh, grab Michael Jordan and do a one-on-one -on -one interview before or after practice. And the access was unbelievable. Now, you know... Uh, They've gotten more sophisticated, and of course, they were very successful. So it's harder to uh, to get uh, exclusive interviews with any of these uh, personalities who got to go through the PR people. And I, like I say, I would imagine that uh, access is restricted even more now uh, with the uh, pandemic. So, I doubt that, that so, uh, you know they'll have that many. Uh, reporters available at any given time. Barry, so uh, we're going to take a moment and just kind of explain what Sean and I are trying to do for the month of September. Um, uh, Life, Love, and the Grind is always a, a show that's very supportive of labor and labor issues. We committed this month starting off um, after Labor Day saying that we are going to bring in as much as we can to give perspective of labor in different industries. Sean Allen working in the building trades himself, myself in communications. And Barry, again, we are very excited to have you because not only are you kind of a pioneer in Chicago media market, but you you were for multiple years what was known as um, I am the vice president of NABET. Um, you were what was known as a NABET crew back in the day. Um, the camera operators, the producers, just about everyone, the editors were NABET. Kind of talk about what that meant to you and, and what quality that came with. Uh, that was the biggest change I experienced when I came up from Indianapolis. Uh, at first, at WBBM, all of our technicians were IBEW, and uh, then I joined NABET as a uh, NABET uh, news writer uh, when I went to NBC, initially in New York and then in Chicago. Uh, and to me, uh, I reap benefits to this day. I have a we negotiated great. Uh, uh, Agreements for retirement with NBC and and GE and initially RCA. Uh, the uh, the union was very strong and got along very well for the most part uh, with management, uh, especially early on with RCA. Uh, GE was a little more difficult to deal with as time went on, but uh, I'm uh, so pleased. I wouldn't have. Uh, the retirement that I enjoy now were not for uh, NABET. 
So, yeah. Sean, pensions, I, I mean, you and I have very different worlds in terms of labors, but the pensions, like what Barry was saying, <coughs> his retirement, it's kind of what we fight for uh, throughout all of our trades, right? Kind of tell me about any perspective you have with that. Well, it's absolutely what we all fall, you know, fight for every day, you know, it's, and especially now, I mean, if we, if we haven't seen anything come out of um, this coronavirus world, we've seen the importance of our essential workers who majority happen to be union workers. And in Chicago, we have the strongest uh, labor force in the world and we're the strongest union density in the world. And uh, it's such a proud union history from really the start to where we're at now. And, and like you say, everything we're fighting for is is just so, you know, men and women and buried so you can retire and enjoy your life and have a nice pension and, and have health insurance and everything that everyone deserves. We're not meant to work 60 hours a week for our entire life. We're meant to retire and, and, and sit back and enjoy it, right? life. Yeah, sit back and enjoy life. And that's all unions have fought for. So it's great to be part of this history in Chicago. And it's great to see all the different perspectives as building trades. I mean, we work in construction, you know, and, um, you know, you see the city skyline. It's gorgeous. I mean, every high rise, every, uh, you know, building going up is, uh, you know, proud with union members. And it's interesting because when we first met, we were both part of the labor movement, mm -hmm. but knew very little about each other's mm -hmm. trades, right? Like I would be what, I guess you guys would consider a soft trade, if even that, it's more of a guild, it's more of a collective of uh, writers, technicians, but again, the value of what we do is we're out there fighting mm -hmm. for um, uh, livelihoods, for fighting for family, fighting for the rights for people to be able to support their families yeah. much as you are, which is the ultimate guiding principle. Well, and, the, and, the, and just bringing us all together and bringing different unions together you know and, and seeing how we all stand up for each other we support each other and um, when you guys strike or when we go on strike or pickets and the labor movement's so strong and sticking together and that's why I like doing these crossover shows and it's good to hear perspectives especially of yours Barry we appreciate you coming on of seeing the kind of the changes over the decades I mean of and that, you but know, staying strong even throughout all these years. And I think that's one of the fundamental things that we need to get into. Your your trades have obviously seen some evolution, um, some changes in workflow, that type of thing. Uh, I think no industry has seen that influx as much as broadcast. Uh, I, I mean, you had real commitment to resources. You had real commitments to personnel, to telling a story. We're going to get into a little bit of that with Barry after this commercial break, including how how easy it was to get on a flight to go somewhere to cover a news story. There was no, uh, you know, doing it halfway. You guys had commitment to go out there and tell a story. So, Barry, I'm going to have you think a little about some of your experiences doing that as we hit this commercial break. Life, Love, and the Grind is proudly sponsored by Rich Lewandowski and our friends at Breaker Press, Chicagoland's top choice for union printing. We're a third-generation family-owned business that has been helping unions and political campaigns win since 1976. We've been involved in hundreds of winning elections, and we get our printed materials to you on time and on budget every time. Whether you're running for the courthouse or the White House, we will take you from concept to design and from print to mail or your supporters' front yards. Breaker Press can help you reach the voters you need. Call Rich at 773-852-5733 or email rich at breakerpress.com. For all of your political printing needs, visit us at breakerpress.com. Megan Financial is an independent retirement and financial services firm dedicated to the working men and women of organized labor. Megan provides straightforward, custom-fit financial advice and specializes in defined benefit and defined contribution pension plans, as well as participant and retiree health and welfare benefits. Megan Financial has the knowledge and experience to navigate the union member through all phases of life. Call 708-444-1090. Securities and advisory services offered through Cetera Advisors, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC, a broker-dealer and registered investment advisor. Cetera is under separate ownership from any other named entity. Office location at 5321 South 94th Avenue, Orland Park, Illinois, 60462. All right, if you're just tuning in, you got Sean and Raza, Life, Love, and the Grind, and we're hearing from Barry Holfelder, producer-writer on WBBM and WMAQ, retired from NABET, a proud union member, and we're talking about the labor movement this whole month of September, and in most months, we always, uh, you know, proud union members, myself and Raza, 
and we want to promote what's going on with unions and doing different crossovers between the building trades, construction, NABET workers, and the telecommunications that go behind all these great things like our, like our sporting events, our TV shows, and just kind of the rich history that is Chicago and is the labor movement. And we've, we're going to continue that week after week. And just we're proud essential workers. We're proud union members. And we're proud to have Barry, who's collecting a nice retirement and enjoying life working hard and deserving what he worked hard for absolutely and i think one of the things that we fundamentally tried to talk about is the investment into the public trust uh these journalists who went out there every day and told a story and barry uh, i i mean times have changed uh tell us about what it was like i, I know you've covered some pretty major stories from uh dam bursts to to collapses um kind of tell us what what it was like to get those calls when you were chicago-based at uh, NBC Chicago. Well, I had the uh, opportunity to work out of the legendary NBC News Chicago Bureau. Um, a lot of great journalists uh, are graduates and uh, alumni of that bureau. Um, we had a territory that stretched uh, oh into Pennsylvania on the east and to the Continental Divide on the west. And uh, we uh, had, uh, I'm trying to remember, I know we had at least three uh, full-time camera crews and uh, at least a half a dozen field producers and uh, as many correspondents. Um, so you guys used to get on private jets. Um, we're told this is where you're headed. This is the story you're going to get. Tell us about some of that. Tell us about yeah. the, uh, I I'm guessing it was an adrenaline-filled job, a lot of excitement going in there, and not knowing what city you're going to end up in. It's not like you're going to be dispatched locally. You could end up where, Barry? Could end up anywhere. I never knew where I was going to fall asleep that night. Uh, I had three golden retrievers. I had to have a dog sitter on retainer, because I'd get a call at work, and say, so you got to get on a plane and, and go out to Denver uh, in two hours. So I call my dog sitter and get on the plane. Uh, it was uh, really an exciting time. Uh, the story you referred to about the Dan burst. Actually, uh, we got word that uh, a uh, dam high in the mountains above Estes, Colorado, mm. uh, near a campground, burst, sending water right through Estes, Colorado. Um, our bureau chief uh, dispatched myself, uh, a correspondent and a crew, to uh, the uh, private uh, charter uh, air site. We flew out to uh, the uh, Denver airport uh, later that morning. A helicopter was waiting for us uh, at that airport, took us up to Estes, Colorado, uh, while I did some uh, research, uh, the uh, correspondent and the crew took the uh, helicopter up into uh, the uh, area of the dam burst to get some visuals. And what we uh, discovered was that uh, the wind traps up there were plummeting uh, this uh, helicopter around, and it became very dangerous. The guys came back, and they... They were white-knuckled, and uh, so we did the, the, the interviews there, got the uh, other uh, town uh, video, and uh, headed back via helicopter to uh, uh, Denver's uh, affiliate. In the interim, our uh, editor had taken the portable edit pack, which was considerable. It was about 12 packing cases on a commercial flight. And uh, he came in and uh, uh, set up at the affiliate, was waiting for us. Uh, we got back there, put the story together, did the script, went through script approval, and had the story on the uh, top of uh, nightly news that night. Um, and, you know, then it was back to Chicago, and I was back home uh, in time for, for bedtime. So do you think, I mean, you know, you, you have so many stories and you guys cover so much and you've really kind of, like you're telling these stories where you're really kind of putting yourselves in danger to get these, you know, top stories. I mean, does everyone really understand how much goes behind all of these, 
all the stories and all the stuff that we, as you know, the average viewer is like craving. I mean, we always are craving for the top news. I mean, I, I'd like to hear your guys' perspective on just really what goes into everything that we all kind of take for granted as we always need top news, breaking news immediately and, and as soon as possible. But really, you guys are the ones behind it, kind of putting your risk in your li lives a little bit just to give us what we want. Yeah, well, on one on one occasion, we were doing a story on a uh, farm auction uh, during uh, the 80s when you know, farms were uh, being sold and, and uh, families were losing their homes. And uh, I went with one crew. Jimmy Mack. Jimmy Mack actually had the opportunity to tell me a little about that, but that's a great story. would love to hear how that played out for you guys. Well, I, I went in one direction to get some... Uh, visual materials uh, from a resource center in Kansas City, and uh, my correspondent, Roger O'Neill, and the crew got in a helicopter to get another uh, location before we both met at this auction. Well, turns out I got a call from the office. Their helicopter crashed, and uh, on takeoff, after taking uh, pictures of this other location, everyone was was fine, but uh, when they showed me pictures, the helicopter was on its side and all mangled. And uh, I also remember a, a story we were doing uh, with helicopters uh, in the Rocky Mountains on the last run of the uh, San Francisco Zephyr. I dropped the crew off at a crossing, and they got on the train to do some shots there, and I was supposed to meet them uh, further on down the line. And most of these uh, copter pilots were old uh, Vietnam War air jockeys and were flying to the next location and look over and this pilot is sweating like crazy. Oh. And uh, I said, what's going on? He said, "We're uh, I don't know if we're going to make it. We're running on fumes already. And uh, we just barely made it into... Uh, the uh, helicopter port so uh, we could refuel. But, I mean, it was very close. I've had several close calls with helicopters. I would rather, I think auto rotation is a myth, and if I never get on another helicopter again, it'll be too soon. So how did you deal with uh, going through situations like that, but knowing the next day or whenever else you'd have to get back on a chopper, knowing it was part of your job? I mean, clearly there was no other way to do this at the time. Um, what was that fear like? Or was it something you put your put your put in the back of your mind? Well, adrenaline kind of takes over, and every story is different, and there's always something new and exciting that you're trying to to, to capture, and uh, I think that that kind of overtakes any any uh, fears you might have about you know how dangerous it might be. Most of the time, it wasn't dangerous at all. It was just exciting and fun. Hmm. And Sean, any? <laughs> no, you know what? It's interesting. Like I said, I like hearing these different perspectives. I mean, there's so much that goes behind, like the most basic of things that we think of with television and uh, and radio and everything. But we forget how many thousands of you know working men and women kind of keep us all in the loop across. Especially now, with, between everything, we're we're so in the loop across the whole country and world based on television and the workers that make that possible well and, and let's take a moment actually to talk about who we have as guests coming up because again we are profiling this month the uh the people out there who are putting together uh or doing the work of the labor movement so we do have a few other guests that we're excited about um, yeah we'll be we'll be having uh, members of other building trades unions local 150 we'll have um bricklayers unions obviously i'm a you know business agent with the bricklayers union and um and just other communications and um, hopefully other building trades unions and union leadership and as well as members. We want to hear from the members. And you know what? I like hearing from Barry's side as a retired you know, member that's enjoying life. And, and we want to hear from the members that are just maybe becoming apprentices or just becoming journeymen in their 20s. And, and just how always, important. Yeah, we always love hearing from the audience who might have questions because, yeah. again, we can't be the only ones who, who have some curiosity into the early world of broadcasting. So if you do have any questions for Barry, we invite you to call in. That number is 773 763 
773-763-9278. Again, 773-763-9278. We are uh, joined by Barry Holfelder, who was a producer-writer for WBBM Radio and WMAQ. Retired now, but kind of walking us through the heyday of television news and the coverage that he used to do. Um, Barry, you have some other interesting stories. Um, one related to um, The Butcher of Lion. Tell me what's that all about. Oh, um, I was low man on the totem pole for a number of uh, months when I first joined the Network Bureau. And the low man on the totem pole had to run the, the, the Bureau office uh, on Saturdays and uh, Sundays. We split, you know, but I normally had to operate the office on Saturday. And I get a call from our New York uh, assignment desk saying that they had gotten a letter from... Uh, a professor at Wayne State University. His name was Erhard Dobringhaus, and he claimed that uh, he had worked uh, with uh, military intelligence after World War II and noted that uh, Klaus Barbie, the ex-Nazi, the butcher, uh, butcher of Lyon, was going on trial in Europe, and he had information that Actually, Klaus Barbie was on the government payroll after the war as a uh, uh, double agent uh, fe feeding information to the CIA. And uh, the New York Dust was very interested in this. And uh, so they chartered a Learjet for me. Uh, <laughs> I went into, then we had Miggs Field. Went over to Miggs Field, hopped on my own personal Learjet. <laughs> Flew to Detroit and uh, met a crew from uh, our New York bureau that was already in Detroit doing a different story. Uh, went over to uh, the professor's house and uh, got some verification, identification of uh, who he was and what he did during the war. Sent that back uh, to New York, and they had our folks in the uh, Pentagon uh, Bureau uh, double check and fact check his ID and all of that. So I did an interview with him uh, right there and uh, fed it in. And they, New York called me and said, "Well, what do you what do you think? Uh, is he for real?" <laughs> so I've only known him for like an hour, but yeah, he he seems uh, he seems very legit to me. So we went with the story. It turned out to be true. Uh, I got done with that, went back to my uh, my Learjet. The crew had gotten me a sandwich tray of my own, and I uh, had a fully stocked bar, and flew back to Chicago all by my lonesome. So, Barry, where do you see the future of uh, kind of TV and television? Obviously, you've seen it change over the last few decades, but where do you see it going moving forward? Obviously, in a time where there's so much social media and you know, Facebook, and, and really kind of everybody, like me and Raza have talked about it, really everyone with a camera now uh, on their phones just are kind of creating their own stories and their own viral videos with just videotaping everything. Where do you see the future of all this going? Um, just about the way you described it. I don't, I, I don't have a healthy view of it at all. Uh, I know when I was in the network bureau, uh, we partnered with Microsoft, and they formed MSNBC. And I thought that was the beginning of the end of what we did, and I believe it is truly uh, uh, damaged uh, the credibility of what we were. Um, I don't, now the, the format is uh, we'll get uh, a headline story, we'll get some video or a soundbite from some politician saying something or someone else saying something, and then they'll bring in a panel to sit and discuss it. That's not news. That's, that's uh, commentary. That's discussion. And that's the direction we're headed. Uh, it used to be uh, when I started, uh, Chet Huntley and David Brinkley had the Huntley-Brinkley report. No one knew how they voted. Same thing with uh, Walter Cronkite until he got fed up with the uh, Vietnam War and finally made a statement. But uh, now the, the term fake news 
uh, has become so prevalent. And my view is, hey, if it's fake, it's not news. <laughs> it's propaganda. And people with their cameras can take pictures of anything and then say it's something else. Uh, oftentimes you see on social media pictures of uh, some uh, disturbance or riot, and when it's fact-checked out, it uh, isn't what it's uh, pretended to be. It's, uh, it's a location from a year or so ago. You just, it, if you take anything off of social media, you've got to fact-check it because so much of it is fake. Yeah, and and you know we're going into. I, th I want to say there's almost one million podcasts in America, so you have everybody with these microphones and these cameras and you know phone cameras and social media and I mean it is a changing market. I mean it it is a and it's you, you hate to say it's almost non-union scab work, but in a way it kind of is because you don't have the right professionalism like that the TV and the union members bring to kind of regulate these conditions, and you have sort of kind of everybody with the phone and a camera and a questionable veracity right you you yeah. see this you don't know it hasn't been like you said fact check yeah you don't know checks. about about the quality in it of it and obviously there's a danger in that with the whole um meddling from russia that we heard and just how easy it is to kind of uh derail or sidetrack the messages that you get because again they haven't been uh there's no veracity and they haven't been fact checked barry what do you think absolutely and the, the danger with uh, all of these uh, uh, home videos, if you will, is that you only see a portion of it. You never, you, you don't get the full picture, and so you don't know what happened before or what happened after what you see in that uh, that segment. And they can they can edit it to look like any anything that they're trying to uh, uh, project, but. Uh, you know, you, you've got to be very careful before you buy into anything and everything you see on social media. Well, and not just that is, you know, not everyone should have a voice. <laughs> not everybody should be allowed to have, you know, a voice projecting out to everybody. And, and you know what? Whether we like it or not, you have these people with their, you know, insane beliefs and they have millions of followers. You know, Sean, that's where I kind of, as a journalist, fundamentally disagree with you because I do kind of believe that everyone does deserve a voice, at least to get that discussion and, uh, you know, dialogue going because sometimes that, that truth is out there. It's ugly, but it's still out there. What better way to address it than? To, than to have that conversation. Yeah. Rebuttal? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I agree in a way, but Absolutely. I also... Yeah. If you look, look at some of the videos that have caused uh, uh, people to come to grips with uh, Black Lives Matter. These, uh, these uh, atrocities uh, where black people are pulled over and end up dying uh, for a minor arrest... Uh, you know, if if we didn't have those videos, that story would not be told. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, again, the, shining the light on the issues via camera, you know, footage. Obviously, it's changed, you know, everything because everyone can see everything now. I mean, if anything goes, you know, bad, you have a you have someone with a cell phone camera videotaping it, so you definitely can. It's not just his word versus my word or anymore. Body cam, I, yeah, I body mean, cams, there's yeah. much more accountability in what's yeah. going on because there is no hiding under a rock anymore. It's all out there. It, it's all exposed. Yeah. And I think we will uh, talk a little bit more about this after we come back from these commercial breaks. Megan Financial is an independent retirement and financial services firm dedicated to the working men and women of organized labor. Megan provides straightforward, custom-fit financial advice and specializes in defined benefit and defined contribution pension plans, as well as participant and retiree health and welfare benefits. Megan Financial has the knowledge and experience to navigate the union member through all phases of life. Call 708-444-1090. Securities and advisory services offered through Cetera Advisors, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC, a broker-dealer and registered investment advisor. Cetera is under separate ownership from any other named entity. Office location at 5321 South 94th Avenue, Orland Park, Illinois, 60462. Hi, I'm attorney Lou Kyra, owner and managing partner of the GWC Injury Law Firm. Over the course of just a few short weeks, COVID-19 has changed our entire world. 
During this difficult and uncertain time, it is now more important than ever to stay connected and try to help those in need. At GWC, we have the technology and processes in place to do just that. We are still signing up cases remotely and taking depositions and settling cases in order to obtain full, fair, and complete compensation for our clients. We want you to know that our team is working 24-7 to fight for your rights, just like we've been doing for over 40 years. We also want to take this opportunity to give a huge shout out to all of our first responders and healthcare workers who selflessly risk their health every day in order to save the lives of complete strangers. You men and women are the true heroes. From our family to yours, thank you and please be safe. GWC, for your free remote access consultation, call me 24-7 at 312-999-9999. Life, Love, and the Grind. This is Raza Siddiqui, joined by Sean Allen. And today we have on the phone with us Barry Holfelder, who is a CBS uh, 2 writer slash producer, also worked at uh, WMAQ Chicago, now retired, but kind of giving us some perspective into what the industry was like. Uh, Barry, I often hear the uh, statement that we live in a society that's information-rich, knowledge-poor, meaning that there's so much... uh, going on out there that it's sometimes hard to decipher the knowledge you need. Sean, before our commercial break, was actually talking about um, the information, how everyone's got cell phones now, how everyone's putting stuff out, but fundamentally what they don't have that we used to have, especially in broadcast, is that producer who's kind of going through fact-checking, verifying veracity. Nothing gets out there unless we, we have verified it. Barry, where is this going to go? How do you see this playing out from someone who has been a producer, who has been um, the guardian of truth for years in broadcast television? Well, I try to tell people who ask me that kind of question that we all have to be more skeptical of what we uh, are presented with uh, more than ever. Um, I don't know if most people would not uh, understand what it would take to get a story on any of the network newscasts for CBS, NBC, or ABC. We used to have to go through script approval that was rigorous. And not only was our script gone over by uh, editor, uh, producers, and uh, lawyers, and we had to, you know, dot every I, cross every T, and support every fact that we put in the thing before uh, they would let us put it on the air. I'm sure that still goes on there, but it doesn't go on uh, on any of these uh, cable uh, operations. And, or on uh, any social media outlets. They yeah. can't, there's no fact-checking going on there. Yeah, I had a friend of mine call me uh, a few years ago, all up in arms because... Uh, he had heard, uh, I think it was uh, the Drudge Report, stating that uh, Barack Obama had just ordered Chevrolet to stop racing in NASCAR. And my friend bought it hook, line, and sinker, and uh, I reminded him that he called me on April 1st, and did he even go to the NASCAR uh, website, the official NASCAR website, to check it out. No, he didn't, and uh, it was a April Fool's joke. Yeah, and I think that's a very good point in that we used to hear. Uh, I know I did. I'm a little older than you, Sean. Is uh, don't believe everything that you read. I, I, I mean, you gotta you gotta verify everything that you're kind of processing. More and more now with with so much information coming out there. And we really want to thank you, Barry, for joining us. Um, Barry Holfelder, who, again, uh, worked with a couple different stations in the city of Chicago as a writer, producer, um, essentially was the guardian of truth in terms of getting the information out there. So, Barry, we want to thank you for joining us. Um, And we're going to continue this conversation, Sean Allen and I, about what we anticipate doing for the rest of the month of September. Sean, tell us a little bit more. I appreciate Barry coming on. And, you know, not only is he, you know, writer, producer, but he's also a proud retired member of NABAT 41. So we want to focus this whole month of September, obviously, on the men and women in the labor movement. Um, We just celebrated Labor Day not that long ago. Obviously, this hits home to us. This is the most important thing we have in our lives. Um, As a man like Barry, who's retired and enjoying a nice pension and a nice life, relaxing, 
I think it's important for him and for everyone else that's coming up in the labor movement that maybe didn't have that many opportunities. Now they're in a, in a position to have a better wage, some health insurance, pensions. We really want to focus on it. And, you know, I, I, I have to mention, too, we are just getting past 9-11. You know, this has been, what, 19 years since um, the 9-11 terrorist attacks that happened in New York. And now more than ever, we always said never forget, but, you know, we had nurses, doctors, first responders, police, fire, just the community, people charging into buildings, helping each other, and never is it more important than it was then and now of just being an essential worker and really being a part of something where you're putting your life on the line to keep society moving forward. And I really don't know, I, I know they get credit, but I really just think that the union movement, the labor movement, the men and women that really push our you know, whole society forward really need to get the credit. They need to get their wages. They need to get their benefits or pensions. They've all fought for it. They've all earned it. And we have to give them credit. We can't take that away from them. I mean, you know, this is such a hot topic now, too, with the Black Lives Matter movement, as well as kind of this somewhat anti-police rhetoric. Obviously, there needs to be change in the police departments, but we also have to never forget that when things go bad, they are the first responders that will be there to kind of help all of us. Sean, I think you, you could not have said it any better. I think part of never forgetting is actually actively fighting for these people who are pillars of our community, who always kind of put uh, their uh, their safety second to, to the bigger cause of keeping the community running. And uh, I'm very glad that you... You made it a point to mention that that these are things that we should, and that I know, Sean, you and I and Sarah actively fight for and actively yeah. uh, are supporting and supportive as well. Coming up later in the month, like you said, we are going to be profiling other people in the building trades as well regarding some of the work that they do and some of uh, uh, kind of what the trades are all about and what the trades still offer to the community that uh, that need to get out there because all too often we hear about college we hear about higher education because again these guys have the money to spend and, and get their message out there but there's a message to get out there with the trades and sean what's that message well the, the message is that there's an opportunity if you don't want to go to college and that's the biggest one and i think the big misconception is that the, the, no one's joining the trades anymore or joining the union and that's completely false um we have nothing but great union members. We have nothing but great men and women that want to join every single year, and it's never running out. The only problem is, is that our average age is about 25 to 35, where it used to be about 18 to 22. So what that tells me is that everyone's going to college, that everybody's joining the military, and then they're coming out, and they're realizing that maybe after that bachelor's degree, they don't have that opportunity, or they get a job where they don't have health insurance and good benefits, so then they join the labor movement or you know whatever trade it is later in life. And I really encourage people to get into a union, get in at 18 years old, get in at 19, come out of high school. You're going to be 22, 23, making well over $40 an hour with insurance, pension. You know, we have annuities. These are great careers. These are, you know, zero debt. I mean, you're you're accruing, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars a year into all your benefits. So we do really encourage everybody to join the labor movement because it really is the backbone of society. And it's and it's really it not only is it making a comeback, but it needs to make a bigger comeback because it's really what offers this whole country everything it wants, whether they, you know, they think it or not. People want universal health care. Well, unions offer that they want retirement while unions offer that well and, and people talk about equality and equity and unions, unions guarantee that, that in black and white i mean it and, isn't right female and male uh, exactly so, regardless of any other demographical breakdown uh, breakdown you have set in stone what you're going to make i will say that i took a very different route i did go to college i i did um study and then get into the trades and was very fortunate to get into a trade that was able to foster me in terms of getting that knowledge as a technician in broadcast but i, I think what sean and i both want to say is listen to the message decide what's better for you um, kind of take uh, take all grains, uh, take everything with a grain of salt, but decide what it is that is going to be better for you in the long run and get all that message, which you can get on Life, Love, and the Ground. We want to get all that information. Well, we there. want to make sure, too, that, I mean, if anyone's interested in a union, whatever kind it is, whether it's teachers, police, 
you know, fire, the, you know, NABET, the communication workers, building trades. You can follow us on Facebook, Life, Love, and the Grind. Um, you can tune in every Sunday, Life, Love, and the Grind on WCPT 820 AM. You can follow, find us on YouTube. You know, reach out if you have questions, if you want to be a guest, if you know good guests, please reach out to us. We, the union movement is everything we stand for, is everything we believe in, and you'll always get that working class voice every Sunday here, and you can follow and watch reruns of all of our other shows of labor leaders, politicians. At the end of the day, all we care about is the working men and women, and, and never, and even more now, like I say, essential workers, I, you know, I, I, I feel for everyone who lost their jobs, lost their careers, had to go on unemployment. But for everybody who worked, like we have, and, and, and the thousands and thousands of others, really putting their life on the line every week and every day for in a pandemic, you know what? They're not getting any more pay. We're not getting hazard pay. We're not getting anything out of it other than just what we do. And we, we're not afraid to get our hands dirty. We're not afraid to go and, you know, fight for the movement and stand up for working people, as, even in times where we're putting our lives at risk. And, and you know what? And I will say I'm I'm very grateful that uh, a lot of our members who work in sports productions, like we talked about, people like Barry, but who are currently out there, you know, covering football, that are out there covering different sporting events, um, that they're back working. But there's so many people who are not. If you look at the Live Events Coalition, um, they were pretty much, uh, including IATSE, uh, trade labor unions like this, first ones who were kind of put out with what happened with the pandemic and will potentially be the last people to go back. So do support them. Do um, see what we can do to help get them some uh, government uh, subsidies to kind of help them get through this time. It's a very difficult time for a lot of people yet, and, and we're glad a lot of people are back working, but there are still a lot of people who could use our support. And if anybody's ever looking for help, and you know, I, I get this all the time, you know, how do I join a union? you got to know somebody. If you're looking for an outlet, please message us. Go on Facebook, Life, Love, and the Grind. You can message us. Myself and Raza, we have a we can help get any trade in contact with any union, you know, and that's what we're doing the show for. That's what we're trying to bring the voice to, to our retirees, to our apprentices, to our journeymen, and to people that maybe are just listening and thinking, you know what, my son may not go to college, my daughter may not go to college, maybe she graduated college and she's not in the career she wants. Please feel free to reach out to us. Um, we are here to help anyone in the unions. If you're non-union, you want to join the union, you know, essential workers, union workers, that's the most important thing we have in this city, and I'm proud to be a part of it. Life, Love, and the Grind. Raza Siddiqui, Sean Allen. Thank you again, uh, Barry Holfelder, for joining us. And thank you guys for all joining us uh, on this Sunday. And look forward to talking to you next Sunday. Bye now.